All right, the decision to pull back. I want to I get into this real quickly here. Mark 6, verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus, and they told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now, this verse that I just read, verse 30, that really is sort of picking up on something that's been happening. I mean, Jesus has sent out his disciples. They're called apostles here, and I'll, I'll explain in a moment why. But the idea is that he has sent them out on a mission of sorts. They've gone out, by, and, and they were given an essential core message to declare, and it was this, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In fact, when you read the Gospels, the four books that talk about the life of Christ, each from a slightly different perspective, but each compiled together, forming a tremendous mosaic that gives us a real a picture of Jesus, uh, the words that he shared, the life that he lived for us, the model he gives us, uh, there's so much there when they're all placed together. And one of the things that becomes apparent when we actually start to read the Bible for ourselves, and especially the Gospels is what they're called. Gospel means good news. And it's the good news of Jesus that we're talking about. That they were given a message that was essentially this, that they were to tell people that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And that's a phrase that comes up a lot in the, in the writings. And Jesus says it frequently. What does that mean, that phrase, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that they were told to share? It meant essentially this. Whenever you hear that the idea had to do with the idea of a hand, when something is your, think of your hand. Whenever you read that phrase in the Bible, think of your hand and think of it right before you. And when the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it is near, it is present, it is upon us. It is now. God is doing a new thing. The king has come and God is doing a new thing. Now, it is at hand, right here, happening. That was their message. They shared that message. And one of the other interesting things that we note and this is sort of foundational for our discussion. It has to do with the fact that we were also told earlier in the chapter in Mark 6, and I'll put this up, we'll put this up on the overhead. It said this, that he called the two, 12 to himself, and he sent them out two by two. Now, in this 30th verse, they're called apostles. And sometimes you'll hear the phrase 12 apostles. Sometimes we hear the disciples of Jesus. Well, each one of those words, disciple and apostle, is emphasizing a different thing. A disciple means a committed follower, one who is attached. An apostle had to do with one uniquely sent. When we talk of the original apostles, we're talking about the 12 disciples of Jesus in the sense who were sent out. But the idea is they had been sent out. So in this reference, they're being referred to as apostles, ones who had been sent out. And now they're reporting back in verse 30 what it is they experienced. Now Matthew's account, again, we, we mentioned the fact that they went, when Jesus sent them out, though, he didn't send them out. Each of you go, you go that way, you go that way, you go that way. He didn't send them out one to, to, by themselves. He sent them out in pairs. And there's a value we see. In fact, Jesus always did that. It, there was a wisdom in, in not being alone. The Christian life, essentially, is not to be lived alone. It, it's not designed to work well that way. It's built to be in community. And certainly, Jesus knew that there was the wisdom also in just traveling with someone else. And the book of Ecclesiastes talks about how you know, two is, is better than one. Threefold cord, not easily broken. The idea is when, we, when one falters, if there's not another there to help him, we're in trouble. I mean, this, this idea of togetherness in the kingdom, this idea of community, is essential for Christian growth, fellowship, people in the same boat, going in the same direction. You know what I mean? It has to do with working somewhere with others who are move, making the same journey as we are. Now, Jesus sends them out two by two. Now, what's interesting is when we get to Matthew's account, that we're kind of given what most, you know, a lot of scholarship thinks the reason the list is given the way that it is is because we're being given the pairing of the disciples. And it's always interesting to sort of think about that. In fact, it's always 
helpful, I think, to periodically reflect upon the unique band that Jesus used as his core team. And so in Matthew 10, it says this, that Jesus called, and it's referring to the same incident, Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them authority to cast out, in this case, evil spirits, heal every kind of disease and illness. And here are the names of the 12 apostles, and so we're given a list. Many of us have heard their names before, but it's interesting to think about it in terms of the fact that they were sent out two by two, most likely by the names that we are given is the pairings that they were sent. So we have Peter, and it was said the first two, Peter and Andrew. I mean, everybody, most everybody's heard of Peter at some point. Peter's this amazing, I call, he's, a, he's the magnificent, Peter's magnificent. He, he is wonderful to read about. He, when you read the Bible, there's so much about Peter that compels us. I mean, he was capable of saying something absolutely brilliant and profound when everybody else was being cautious. He was, you know, impetuous and bold. And then there were other times when he would say something that would just make, if I can use it in a metaphor, have, Jesus almost pulled his hair out, you know, having to deal with the things that Peter said. He was so bothered by it one time, even really rebuking him in strong, fierce words. Peter had this amazing capacity to just uh, go for things. And he was a very physical man. Clearly from the scriptures, he was someone who highly valued uh, this fisherman, he highly valued loyalty and fidelity, the keeping of his word. Those things meant things to him. We know that when they came for Jesus, he wanted to fight. I mean, this was, he, was a, he was kind of a physical person, but he was not a thoughtlessly physical person. He actually had um, a, a sincerity about him and a, and a kind of a depth about him, but it was a recklessness. He didn't really know himself. And Jesus would constantly remind him that you are a rock, but Peter didn't really see himself as one. In fact, he, 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 often, he would say, Lord, I'm, you know, why'd you choose me? Um, depart from me, I'm a sinner, I'm nobody, I'm no good to you, I've let you down more than once, I'll do it again. I mean, there's this kind of interesting component to him. On the one hand, bold, and the other hand, um, you know, kind of uh, aware of his own frailties. And certainly that was the case by the end of the, the time when he denies Jesus. I mean, he's, he's a broken man who feels like he's finished. Because when, any, when we fail... When Peter failed, he failed magnificently. I mean, it was a radical failure. It was a complete disavowing of Jesus. And uh, it took him a lot to recover from that. But Peter ends up becoming quite a spokesman. He's the leader. The reason I, you know what? But Peter is grouped together with what? His, his brother, Andrew. Now, Andrew, interestingly enough, uh, is barely mentioned in scriptures. When he is mentioned, you know what's interesting about it? Every time Andrew is really mentioned, besides the list that he, he's in, He's always mentioned as bringing somebody to Jesus. It's a really cool thing when you think about it. Every time we see Andrew, he's bringing someone to Jesus, to meet Jesus. He brings his brother Peter. There's no Peter without Andrew. A lot of people talk about the great Peter, but there's no great Peter without Andrew bringing him. Andrew brought him to meet Jesus. There's something about this idea of, of bringing people to meet the Lord. It, it, it's like, um, you know, so he's just a bringer. And some of some of you, some of us, you know, in this room, uh, that's really a gift. I mean, that just, uh, connecting with people. Hey, I want to have you come and experience something. Um, you know, it, it's, there's something powerful in its simplicity about Andrew's sort of distinctive of being a bringer. And that's so the, Peter and Andrew. Then there was what? James and John. James and John, who Jesus called, gave them a nickname. He said, you guys are the sons of thunder. Because they were so, they were passionate, and they were also they had they were noted for their their temper and their quickness to take offense on behalf of Jesus, and um, and there's sort of these they emerge as these very um, interesting, intense, 
um, you know, you can tripwire them. They may be they just were ready to explode as well. I mean, there's an interesting character. The fact that, the fact that John ultimately becomes the apostle of love is quite a test, turning of the tables because he was noted for his temper early on in his life. But Christ can do that, you know. Jesus can take the weakest areas of our personality, maybe even things that have been passed down for us, gener- passed down to us generationally, and um, by His grace, He can take those areas of our life that we've said, "Well, that's just the way I am. That's the way my family is. That's just how we are." And the Lord can get into that, and He can turn that around, and He can take something that is a weakness in us, and He can make it actually a strength. And you know, John becomes known for his tenderness. But early on, he was known for his temper. And so James and John were a pairing. Uh, the third pairing, notice there, is what? This Philip and Nathaniel. They weren't brothers. James and John were, Peter and Andrew were. Uh, but Philip and Nathaniel, they were friends. And if there was this one, if you read the account of how Philip and Nathaniel came to Jesus, I mean, Philip was someone who had found the Lord, the Lord had engaged him, he's come follow me, he did. Philip goes and he finds his friend, Nathaniel. You can check it out, it's a fascinating thing to read about. And he goes and he, he, he talks, to, he finds Nathaniel, and, he's, and Philip says, you're not going to believe it, We've, I found the one. And Nathaniel says, really? Who is he? And Philip says, he's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, can any, are you serious, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip says this, listen, my friend, I'm not going to argue with you. Why don't you come and see for yourself? And he brings him to Jesus. And as Nathaniel is making his way to Jesus, it says that Jesus, before Nathaniel even arrives, says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no God. You want to see a man without pretense? You want to see a guy who is who he is? He says, there he is, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And he says, you haven't seen anything yet, my friend. This journey's just beginning. But this idea that Philip was a man of an honest, of honest there was nothing he, he hid. He was a real guy. Uh, we get pictures of other ones, Thomas. Thomas, unfortunately, because of one incident in the Bible, becomes known forever as Thomas the Doubter, right? And that's what happens when you're late, you know? You're late for something. <laughs> he, 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 he missed the, the gathering. Jesus showed up, some of us may remember, after his resurrection. He's there, he's in the room. He shows himself. The disciples are just stunned and amazed. Thomas wasn't there. He comes in, and they say, you're not going to believe it. And he says, you're absolutely right. I don't believe it. I don't believe it at all. In fact, he says, I know you believe what you, I know you believe that you believe you saw him, essentially. But I'll tell you what, unless I, look, I saw him die. Unless I can put my finger in his, in the, his hands where the nails were nailed through, unless I can put my hand in his side where he was pierced, I will not believe. You can believe all you want. And of course, there's this, you read the book of John there at the end, he, he, there's this moment where Jesus appears to him and he says, Thomas, you know, put your hand, touch me. And there's this, this powerful exchange and Thomas throws himself at the feet of Jesus. He says, my Lord, my God. But Jesus says to him these memorable words, Thomas, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And then, it's, but you know what it always reminded me of is that Thomas was a real person. And I don't think God has any problem with our honest doubts. I really don't. And a lot of times I tell people, because I say, you know what, God would rather us be honest with him than just go through the motions and pretend. I mean, he's, he can deal with it. He didn't, he, one of the amazing things about how he dealt with Thomas was he doesn't nail him to the wall. 
and say, you doubting Thomas. That's what he's called now by all the rest of us. But when Jesus talked to him, he basically spoke to him in a way that was encouraging, but it was not demeaning, not really. And the Lord does not have an issue with us working through things. It's okay to ask questions, and sometimes it's okay to even struggle. Actually, I think some faith is better formed in struggle. Now, I know there's a gift to believe, and when that gift is given to us, faith is a gift, and it's beautiful. Things open up, and we believe, and it's not hard. It's like we see different. It's the old song, my eyes, I can see. What I, but sometimes, so some of us, we're getting closer to the Lord. We're starting to believe. It's a seed. But we still got a lot of doubts and questions and concerns. You know, that's okay. That's okay. He can handle it. It's not a big, he can handle it. He's not going to be mad. He works with us. Just what I'm trying to say. The fact that he called all these different ones. Oh, who else was with Thomas? Who was Thomas paired with? Matthew. What was Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. When the Lord called him, he had been working on behalf of Rome, collecting money on behalf of Rome. He was a businessman, a money man, a marketplace man. He was a man who made a living taking extra taxes from the people. And so when Jesus calls him in, it's fascinating to think about Matthew and the connections he had and who, what kind of man he was. And then, of course, we're told about the next two, James who's called sometimes, who's the son of Alphaeus, but he's often called the, the James the Lesser because of the first one is James, the brother of, of John. The reason he's called the Lesser is because we have no record of him ever saying anything. <laughs> so uh, we have James and Thaddeus, who we really don't know much about, uh, very little really, beyond some tradition. And then the last two, everybody is pretty much familiar, at least with the final name. Simon, also known as the Zealot. Simon the Zealot, Zealot was a political party in Jesus' day. They were working and believing, but they were sort of a, 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 a underground party in a way. They, they were aspiring to overthrow Rome with violence if necessary. What's interesting to me is that in the band of Jesus, you would have Matthew, who had worked for Rome, and Simon the Zealot, who had wanted to violently overthrow Rome, almost like a revolutionary. And the two of them had come together to follow the Lord. It's really interesting. And then, of course, there's uh, Judas, who would ultimately <clears throat> betray the Lord, and that's a tragedy in and of itself. I say all that because, we'll go back to verse 30 real quick with me, because it says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. We may assume, if they went out two by two, and most likely in the pairings that we referred to, that when they came back, they gave six reports. And as they begin to talk to Jesus about what had happened, he began, interestingly enough, we can, we can look at the scripture and it, it shows us some things because it tells us that as Jesus was listening to his men talk, as he was looking in their eyes, perhaps it was in the disposition of their body or their body language or something he just sensed because there was a tenderness to the Lord, that as he listened to them and heard them talk about what they had gone through, that it became apparent to him that they were not in a good place that at some level they were, they were in need of rest. And although they had not requested it, it was clear to him, and Jesus says this, it says in verse 31, and he said to them, come aside by yourselves. To, you know what, hey, listen, listen, it's almost like he said this, you know what, that's great. And I appreciate that, and we've got a lot of work to do, but you know what, I think what we need to do right now is I'd like all of us to get away. And I'd like us to go and find a deserted place, and I'd like us to rest for a while. Let's not do anything. 
And, and so, again, there was so much going on around Jesus. I mean, Jesus says essentially, hey, guys, you know you've been working really hard. You know, and I think that's a good word for us. In the summertime, a lot of us take vacations. Also, there are certain seasons of our life where, you know what we need to do? We really need to, to rest our soul. We're so anxious. And we're carrying so much. And maybe it's like the phrase we're going to use is our soul is wrinkled. And we need to get better on the inside. And we need to take a deep breath. You know, as, uh, Jesus says, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest. You know what's interesting? Let's pull back, guys. Let's pull back from the crowds. Um, let's, uh, let's get away. And by the way, what does Jesus not say? He doesn't say, let's all, okay, he doesn't say this. Okay, this is what I want you to do. We're all gonna, we're gonna stop doing, you know, each one of you, why don't you just go on your own way for a while and then we'll all report back. Now, you know what's interesting here? And I have read this many times, and it never really dawned on me, but he was advocating something quite different, a, a discipline that is somewhat different. He was talking about them getting a way together. He was talking about group withdrawal, not solitude, not solitary withdrawal. He was talking about withdrawal in the context of community, and I want to I suggest that that's different than just us saying, well, I'm going to get away by myself. No, actually, he's saying is we're going to get away together. We're going to have some time to talk, to engage, to rest, to not do anything, to eat together, to pray together, to talk together, to encourage one another. But we're going to do it together, not, not just by each one go on his own way, but together. This, this is an interesting thing. This quasi-paradoxical principle of community solitude is one of the healthy dynamics for Christian life, for a flourishing Christian life, or for a life of following Jesus. There are times where we need to be able to pull back with people, others, and to be able to encourage one another in quality conversation, of not do anything, but just be in a restful place. Now, it says that, go, look at another thing. It says in verse 31 here, it says that they were coming, it says there were so many people. He says, I want us to go aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. And look what we're told here at the, in the end of that 31st verse. For there were so many coming and going that they did not even have time to eat. So much was going on around Jesus. So much interest and activity that they were told here couldn't even eat in peace. The picture then is this. They're spiritually spent. They've had a time of enhanced focus ministry. They're physically spent. They're barely, they're not eating right. They've got so much going on here. There's so many people around them. They're not eating. They're probably not sleeping well either. They're not in a, probably a good mental place. There's a lot, they're under a lot of pressure. There are people everywhere. There are a lot of demands being made upon them. Everybody wants to get to Jesus. When we combine all those elements together, we can see why Jesus would have been compelled or felt compelled to have them create some space to catch their breath, if you will. And so, you know why? Because he didn't want them to unravel. And so what does he say? He says, you know what? In verse 32, and this will be the final verse we'll look at. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. So what, they were, now, they were on one side of the Sea of Galilee. It's just, again, I want us to just kind of be aware of the geography in the Bible. It's, you can go to the Sea of Galilee, but if you see where it is located there, you can see the Mediterranean Sea. That's where modern-day Israel is. Galilee in the middle there. It's not really a sea. Uh, the Jordan empties into it. It's, a re, it's really a lake. Sometimes called the Lake of Knesseret because it's shaped, as you can see, like a harp. And so Jesus was on one side of the lake, and the people are all there mulling around and waiting and hearing, and there's all this activity. Jesus says, you know, we're just going to get in a boat, and we're going to cross over to the other side and get alone together and rest. And, you know, I remember in 2008 when a group of us went to Israel, 
I, I still have the image of the Sea of Galilee in my mind. And I, reminded, I was reminded of it. I was, I'll not forget it. I mean, this, it, was, it was a beautiful, serene, with a hazy sun, sort of the pastel grays and blues and the light breeze that was there. I just, it was just a really special moment. It felt, felt like I could, I could see how you could be refreshed making the eight-mile crossing across. You know, just, just take our time. Let's cross on this still day. And that would have been a respite in and of itself, just spending some time alone together. Let me, in the minutes that I have left, though, share with you how this kind of impacted me and what I'd like us to sort of take home in terms of just practical thinking. I want to submit, firstly, that, and it's just going to sound like so simple, but I'm going to submit that one of the things that we're going to need to do periodically, and it's a good thing to do it, is to get away for a while and rest. And that uh, I am, by the way, I'm talking about the kind of rest that gives us perspective and enhances our soul. I'm not necessarily talking about some of the things that we, you, sometimes when we have free, free time, which is an interesting term, because um, is any time really free. But at least we know what we mean, I think, that we're not d- doing work. But in reality, in those free times, a lot of times, well, by the time we're done doing stuff that we do, which is kind of like we're so numb, we just kind of get ourselves in some type of you know, entertainment or we do something. But you know, I don't know if we really come away that refreshed. We certainly maybe don't come away any better at an internal place. In fact, sometimes we even come out worse. I'm actually talking about the original meaning of the word recreation, which is really, if you think about it, a word that means what? Recreation. It has to do with recreating. It has to do with becoming something refreshed. It has to do with something that brings us to a better place by the time we're done with it, hopefully closer to God. One of the things that is pretty clear here is that I was, again, I was struck by the phrase that it says that they were coming and going and not having time to eat. I was thinking about how so many of us, even here, I know not everybody because some of us aren't in this place, but some of us are. Uh, We feel very stressed. We have a lot on us. We're stretched. Uh, You know, I I think it's not exclusively the the domain of, of families with young children, but I remember that period in my life. Um, Some of us have extraordinary work demands with some of the things that are happening in the workplace right now. uh, A lot of times, all the leverage is is with the employer, and and we are sometimes forced to do things with a clear understanding, or at least, let's say, an understanding, even if it's unstated, that it's our privilege to do even more work um, with the same amount of pay. And I think in those places... Uh, because, because we know that we can find ourselves very stretched and at times very stressed. Some of us have things that we're working through relationally. We compound a number of things on us, and we can begin to feel the weight of that. Maybe we came in to the Lord's house today with a tremendous amount on us. We've been feeling a relentlessness of the pressure. We haven't been eating well. We're not, we're not sleeping well. We're not exercising. We're not paying attention to our soul. We're sort of just going through life and we're not really even thinking, reflecting about what God might want to say to us, about what things are, you know, what it means to have perspective. One of the reasons I, I do like to periodically just take a walk in a place where there's big skies and big space, uh, is maybe a beach even sometimes, is because you can, the vastness of it creates a different perspective, reminds us of different things. It's good to do that every now and then, to talk to God. I'm talking about ex- spending time with him and his word. I'm talking about um, just having enough time to, to breathe 
and to settle down and to lay at his feet our concerns. I'm talking about having quality conversation with no real agenda, but let's just encourage one another in the Lord. I'm talking about those times where we just get refreshed physically. This is what I'm talking about. And I think that, you know, it's interesting to me because it says the disciples had a hard time. Uh, they, were, they were pretty stretched. stretched and there, where are they? And God was going, they're in, you know, 2,000 years ago in a rural environment uh, in Palestine, in, Gal- in the Galilee, with virtually, you know, none of the same stress that we feel living in this urban metroplex that we call the San Francisco Bay Area. And I love the city. I love the energy of the city. I love the, comp- the way that the ideas and cultures come together and the energy of a city, the pace of a city. But you know what? If it was true of those, if they were stressed where they were, how much more are we living in this environment sometimes pulled and just we live with constant noise and, and we, we are on the go. We're going here. We're transporting ourselves. We have community in the morning and at night and we're around stressed out people and there's this sort of intensity which is sometimes you know very compelling and then but over time if it can really take its toll on us and I and I'm going to suggest that there are times we need to be intentional about pulling away and I'm not talking about just numbing ourselves with entertainment I'm talking about paying attention to our soul and our walk with God okay that's different and how and again I think the Lord wants us to, to, to breathe. I was reading an author who said, you know what, we are living, many of us are living the breathless life. We don't breathe. We're not breathing. We're, we're just sort of always in a hurry. Secondly, let me just suggest this, that I'm going to make a, another point. I'm going to suggest that physical and mental rest are appropriately, you know, to be considered as essential to our spiritual growth and, and development in our life that we need to pay attention to those things. When we push our bodies too hard uh, and too far, we can actually undermine God's purposes in our lives. I want to suggest that we are not God. (laughs) We get frayed nerves and uh, fatigued bodies, and and if we're not sensitive to our true condition and we push ourselves over the edge, we can snap. Uh, That's a fact. We start becoming angry at times. Things come out of us that we didn't mean to say or do. Uh, Life tells the truth on us. And a lot of times I've found that when we are, listen, tired people and stressed out people do foolish things. Very tired people do very foolish things. And we become far more susceptible to unhealthy things. I mean, think about it. Why did the Lord institute the Sabbath as one of the commands for his people? Not to squeeze out of them a day, but to remind them, (laughs) to remind them that I don't just want your, you to work all the time. I want you to rest because you're not God and you need it. And you need, I don't want you to work yourself to death or just work through life or just get through life. I want you to know me. I want you to breathe deep, see? It's a get to, not a have to, really. And I was thinking, oh, well, Lord, I mean, we, we oftentimes when we, I mentioned the fact that I, you know, I talk to a lot of people and we, when we're really beaten, when we're really, a lot of times one of the ways that we deal with pressure and stress is we find, we get ourselves into self-destructive behavior and, and self-destructive behavior can become addictive. And a lot of times we act out because we, that, that's just what's happening. Now, Lord, listen, the Lord wants us to be a healthy people, spirit, soul, and body. It's his desire. And it means we have to pay attention to things, all right? To, to, because why? He cares about us touching others. And, and it's hard to be a blesser when we're all broken up on the inside 
And so he wants us to be whole. And sometimes the best thing we can do is actually pull back a little bit. And last thing I'll say, it's not just about pulling back for, pulling, for the sake of pulling back. It's not just you know, pulling back so you know, we can get away. It's about pulling back for the purpose of re-engagement. And again, I make the case here because it's like Jesus didn't say to them, look, um, you know, uh, we're just going to get away, take some time, and you know what? Let some other group finish the job. No, he was having them pull back for a modest recharge so they could get back to the great work that lay ahead of them. It was this idea that he knew that they needed the rest, but it wasn't the rest to retire. It was the rest to move forward. And that's the point. And in fact, I put, this is the, 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 the only quote I put in the handout, and it's something I would like us to look with as we near our end here. It says, we must know how to put occupation aside and for those of us who can concentrate for a few more minutes, just do it right now. We must know how to put occupation aside, which does not mean that we must be idle. In an in, in, there should be a space there. In an inaction which is meditative and attentive, the wrinkles of the soul, listen, are smoothed away. The soul itself spreads, unfolds, springs afresh. And like the trodden grass of the roadside, or the bruised leaf of a plant repairs its injuries, becomes, and I love this, new, spontaneous, true, and original. The the imagery for me is that what I thought was so brilliant about this is that it's saying there are times we need to pull out because we're like that grass being trampled on. You know when you see it, it gets matted down. It's being walked on all the time. But he's saying if we can let that, let that if it can, come, it can come back to life again, it can start to spring afresh, new, spontaneous, original, true. I think that's how God wants us to be. I'm not saying we're going to be exempt from problems. I'm not saying there aren't going to be times where it's hard not to be depressed and discouraged, and it can get tough. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they were telling me, you know what life right now feels like? It's a nonstop hike uphill. And I said, I get that. But you know what? God is there with us. We are not alone. He is there for us. And he has things he wants to work into our lives. Some of us right now, you know, that's what happens sometimes on a vacation. Yes, sometimes some of us are not working right now in between jobs. One thing we can do is pay attention to our soul. We can turn what is something that is a frustration to us, and we can actually pay attention and use it as a time of development and growth. And we can let, let God work some things in us, and, bring, and we can rest our soul, and we can let him begin to bring things new, spontaneous, true, and alive, because that's the kind of people he wants us to be. You see what I'm saying? He wants us to live this way. And I, I, I feel like there are times where, yes, it is hard, but let's also remember there are times where God wants us to pull back, get better, so that we can re-engage life, love the people we're called to love well, keep our commitments be a blessing, be an Andrew, bring, be, a, be a Philip, bring a friend along. You know, love, live, honor God, true, spontaneous, original. That's what I want to be. So, Lord, I, I want to ask you, as, as we have been here together, um, just talking about your ways, your principles, kind of looking at your words together, Lord, I am reminded of what, you know, you, the, the people you brought together, Lord, they're all different. They're different people. And you can use each one of us in unique ways, in fact, I know you do, and we're all different, and yet that is something that I think is a benefit. And there are people that you really have designed for us to reach and talk to and connect with and to represent your heart to. But if we're all, if we're weighed down, trampled down in an unhealthy place, Lord, we're, we're going to have a hard time representing your heart. And since I know you love people, I pray that you would 
remind us of our need to, to pay attention and not simply to numb ourselves and to get stuck in unhealthy things that won't actually end up doing anything good but only mess up our life, but instead to turn our heart towards you. You're very forgiving. You're always, you'll call us to the higher place. You challenge us, Lord, but it's a firmness, but it's a love. And you call us to places of health and growth. And I do pray, Lord, that you would move on our hearts to, to listen and to respond. And so even as time sometimes deals us things and we break and we're bruised, I pray, Lord, that we would not lose our hope and that we would continue to be made anew and refreshed in you. I pray for that blessing over everyone who is here. And I pray, Lord, that the song that we close with, even though it's a little melancholy, at the same time that it would, it would stir up hope in us. And I just pray for that in, in this, this closing time of our giving, as many of us honor you with our tithes and offerings, that you would be honored in all that we do as we close this service out. Refresh our souls in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord.